Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for season three of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a place here at the table, your coats go by the door. You can kick your shoes off in that pile on the floor. I hope you wore elastic, cause your waistband's gonna get tight. Take time's done, we're having a night. Hello friends, I'm Sophie. And I'm Ari, and you're listening to Having a Night the podcast dedicated to reviving the lost art of the dinner party. And it's Thanksgiving today. It is. It's Thanksgiving today. Wow. No, It's America's dinner party. Not this year, but in general. It's, yes. <laughs> Thanksgiving is a holiday where it's, it is. It's a big dinner party where you're forced to cook if you don't like to cook and hang out with your family. Yeah. If, if you don't like dinner parties, this is not... This is not your holiday. <laughs> well, I think probably a lot of people are relishing the fact that they don't have to see, you know, like their Trumpy uncle or like that weird aunt who always makes a terrible casserole or whatever. I think a yeah. lot of people this year are like, fuck it. I'm having a turkey sandwich and I'm watching The Crown and like, yeah. that's it. <laughs> Good for those people. I wish I could say the same, but I'm sad. I'm sad about what this has happened to this country. The facts that have led up to this moment. Well, but including, we of do? course, like the myth that Thanksgiving is even based on. True. I think we have to start by addressing the fact that the myth of Thanksgiving is not one that we're even interested in perpetuating. We do not want to celebrate a holiday that is intrinsically linked with the near decimation of the people whose land this is. So although Thanksgiving has come to be about gratitude and love and conviviality, which we are all about, and obviously eating so much you can't button your pants, it's also a really important time to become familiar with the history of the holiday and also, excitingly, with the foods and celebrations of Native American peoples. I mean, I think it's so striking to think about the fact that everything we think of as being quote unquote American food is Eurocentric, right? Like the yeah. majority of the ingredients that are used in American food came from Europe. Like they're not even from here. So I actually think that a potentially really wonderful way of paying reverence and acknowledging the fact that obviously we are living on stolen land would be to try to incorporate some indigenous ingredients into recipes, dishes. I mean, I know there's this thing of like a classic Thanksgiving, but I mean, you're really just hearkening back to, first of all, obviously that was not the meal that was being eaten, but it's also like, maybe this is a time to decide to do something different. Last year, the New York Times did a whole series of recipes with Sean Sherman, AKA the sous chef of like his top 10 essential Native American recipes. And they look so good and are so inspiring. And I mean, they're just chock full of ingredients that of course are native to these lands and that we really don't use to cook anymore. Like um, there was a crawfish pot with 
sassafras bark and he did do a turkey he was talking about like how much better heritage turkeys are which of course is not surprising with a berry mint sauce and black Mm -hmm. walnuts I think it's so easy to sort of be like oh you know if I was traveling in the Amazon I would be coming up against all of these ingredients that I've never heard of but not thinking about the fact that the things that are actually indigenous to this country are also things that we've never cooked with and that's so cool. That's such a good point. It's such a great point. And what a, a beautiful Thanksgiving that would be. Let's aim Let's aim for that next year. I mean, let's just aim to incorporate more indigenous food, American food, you, you know, into our diets, period. Yeah. There's a whole movement of decolonializing the American diet and, and going back to our roots and the the food that that was here before we were and you know everything that indigenous peoples ate and i think that's that's definitely something that i would love to explore and yeah. actually you know the there are records of very very early thanksgivings and i think the first one and i don't know how reliable this is but it included you know it it wasn't stuff that was brought over from europe those first few years it was wild game and a lot of wild rice which sounds so great and so delicious, you know, yeah. and so much more flavorful and, and just more, frankly, like more texture than the kind of comfy, mushy stuff that we eat now that I think actually got really popular in like the seventies with stofers and just like when food and I don't know, like the mass production of food and making things easier. Yeah. I mean, it's just so true. It's like, if you think about, if you think about the Thanksgiving meal, the only thing you need teeth for is the turkey because turkeys are tough and everything else is like soft as fuck. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So true. So true. If our listeners are actually interested in getting some Native American ingredients, definitely read the Sean Sherman article that's in the Times. If you Google it, you should be able to find it. The sous chef. Also, Toasted Sister podcast is a very, very cool podcast about Native American food. And she has a whole list of Native American food companies, native-owned food companies on her website, toastedsisterpodcast.com. Guys, I recently, (laughs) I just ordered popcorn. Story of my life. I just ordered some corn kernels from one of the um, vendors that she listed on her site. And of course I ordered more than I thought I, more than I oh needed. God, I, much, I ordered, did you order? I ordered 48 pounds of corn. Oh my God. <laughs> Was that an accident? Did you mean to order yes. four pounds? So it only comes, they come in boxes. We do so weirdly <laughs> eat a lot of popcorn, but also I was like, popcorn doesn't go bad. Like popcorn is one of those foods as in, Corn kernels, as we've discussed, is one of those foods that they find and they're like, turns out people ate popcorn in 3000 BC. So I'm like, it'll be fine. But it comes in boxes of two pound bags, 12 two pound bags. So like each box is 24 pounds. And I accidentally ordered two boxes. (laughs) Oh my God. Wait. So as someone who does not make a lot of popcorn, how many pounds make one serving of popcorn? you know, because they're so much heavier before they're cooked. Right. So that's sort of how I'm giving myself comfort. If it was 48 pounds of pre-popped popcorn, you would be in trouble. You'd be living in like a ball pit of popcorn. (laughs) I would say, can you imagine? I would say- Getting out of bed. I think two pounds will probably take us about six weeks to go through. Okay. So sure. 48 pounds will take, <laughs> take us, for it. <laughs> will take us two years to go through. 
We'll check in on you next year. I mean, every dinner party, I'm going to be incorporating popcorn from now on. (laughs) I guess so. That's an interesting project. Yeah. Anyway, that's my story. So yes, please do check both of those sites out or that that article and those that site out. Um, and it's the sous chef, S-I-O-U-X is in the tribe. Yes, of course. Now that we have said all of that, of course, we are going to be discussing something that A, doesn't require teeth, B, is super traditional, definitely whitewashed stuffing. Whitewashed, but yes. I also think something, a food that many Americans have come to enjoy. If it's Thursday, we hope that you have checked out our incredible video on Instagram. Yeah. Um, we worked really hard on it. It was really fun. And we're skipping what we ate this week because, well, we ate the stuffing that we made and spoiler alert, it was really good. We know in in the kind of the script and the video and, and the plot of the video, it turns out to be bad, but that was just for dramatic purposes. We're the stuffing was great. Yours, yours was awesome. Yours was also awesome. I mean, yeah, Thanks. love stuffing. So do check out the video. It's a spoof. We've got a big old celebrity Sam Talbot on. It's really fun. Oof. Sexy, sexy. I'm saying it yeah. on air. He's really he sexy. Is. There's a reason why he was named one of New York's top or uh, sexiest chefs, top 10 sexiest chefs, whatever yeah. it is. It's true. I mean, he refers to himself in an episode of Top Chef as one of New York's top 10 sexy chefs. So who knows what periodical was claiming that, but I would agree. Very sexy. Let's get into stuffing. Yeah. First of all, let's just talk about the word stuffing. Let's talk about it. Traditional stuffing is what was stuffed inside the bird. And some people still do that, but I think most Americans think of dressing, which is something that is prepared outside the bird and then baked. Okay. Oh, you're right. Which oh, no. also, P.S., this is a distinction that Ari and I only found out about last week when we were making stuffing. I had no idea. Did you? You didn't? Yes. No. No, you didn't. You so didn't. I don't believe you. I, I feel like I. it's one of those things that I know, but I just kind of don't care. So I forget <laughs> Interesting. it. Interesting. But then whenever I'm reminded, I'm like, oh yeah, that's true. Look, it's like neither one of those words makes sense for what it is. So I'll take either of them. Well, you know? stuffing makes sense if you're stuffing a bird, uh, but there's something about the word stuffing that feels much cozier. Whereas dressing I associate with salad dressing, right? So it sounds much more like, it doesn't sound, doesn't sound right. I'm going to keep on referring to it as stuffing, even though I do cook mine outside of the bird. Interestingly, you guys may think that stuffing is something new, something that came around around the time of Stouffer's, but that's incorrect. There is documentary evidence in the Roman cookbook, Apicius de Re Cocinaria, from the first century AD. Get your copy at um, Ancient Barnes and Noble near you. (laughs) When you see the Parthenon, turn right. I mean, there's just a fascination from the beginning of time of uh, cooks wanting to stuff things into other things. It must be a male thing, right? No, because I was about to say, like, I really want to do an episode that's all about stuffed foods, where we talk about ravioli, wontons, all kinds of dumplings. I mean, tacos, Mm -hmm. in a way, are kind of stuffed. Like, everything. That's huge. A burrito is stuffed. I mean, my favorite foods are stuffed foods because it's a big surprise. A big old surprise. Yeah, it's true. It's a surprise and you get 
two, you know, different food groups in one. It's usually kind of portable or, or convenient. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Except when we get into like turducken oh, territory, that would be a great name for a podcast, a band, so et cetera. <laughs> oh my territory. God. A drag king, a drag queen. Wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hey, I'm turducken territory. Wow. That's like our Guy Fieri characters. I love it. Now, yeah. there's a part of me that like <laughs> thinks turducken is a bit too gruesome. It's a little too animalistic to stuff one thing with another with another. It's like, oh my God. Right. That's why I think that kind of thing feels kind of like male. Yes, definitely. What is this of like stuffing something into something else with, it doesn't have the same purpose as like folding a, you know, some cheese into a ravioli or some steak into a burrito. (laughs) This is just like, I don't know. It almost seems like violent or like, I agree. Like, like (laughs) saw, you know, that movie. Uh, Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's the last scary movie that I saw and I saw it in 2000. I saw it. I saw saw in 2007 when it came out and I was like, I'm never watching a scary movie again. Horrifying. 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 I would never, but doesn't this seem like maybe, you know, what was it? 16th century BCE, like saw is like making a turducken. Totally. Exactly. (laughs) I know why. Also, I'm sure that we have listeners who are like, fuck you, turducken's the best. But I like, like part of the joy of roasting a bird is crispy skin. So if you're stuffing one bird in another, the chances of crisp skin are gone. Great point. I don't have a problem with shoving a beer can up a chicken's butt. (laughs) you know, to make some beer can chicken, but that's different. That's very different. Let's get into Thanksgiving stuffing. What are the traditional flavors? I'm always curious, like why these flavors go together. Is it just because year after year we have them and we associate them with these family gatherings and feelings of, of, you know, happiness and, and togetherness and gratitude, or is there something inherently about them? I think it's probably a bit of both. You know, I'm thinking like, sauteed onions, celery, apples, but also all of the herbs. I mean, yeah. the sage, sage, rosemary, thyme. It's some, there's something earthy about the abundant use of herbs. I mean, we're not a culture that cooks heavily with herbs, unfortunately. Yeah. But, you know, this is kind of, you know, the winter is our time to shine. Yeah. But, you know, these are, it's these flavors that's across stuffing, the turkey and the gravy. You know, some people put some herbs into their mashed potatoes, but yeah. What, do you have any thoughts about, about the traditional ingredients? Well, I do think you're right. I think they're very, in a funny way, right? It's like actually the base for a stock. It's the base for a stew. So, you know, usually it's onion, celery, as you said, sage, thyme. You could add some parsley, maybe some mushrooms. If you're getting crazy, it might be sausage, apple, maybe a chestnut, currants, raisins, but so it's all these sort of, it's these flavors that like, they start out crispy and distinct. And by the time they're cooked in with the bread and the egg and your broth, they just like kind of meld into one. But I think there is something about like, to me, those are the Thanksgiving flavors, as we've said, that toothless texture, but with these very, very warm, comforting flavors. Yeah, it's really good. It is really good. We were talking about it sort of as like, when is it a stuffing? When is it a bread pudding? Because like, if you add enough eggs, 
you could sort of make it into like a bread puddingy texture, which PS also sounds delicious. Yeah, it almost it lifts it and kind of it it keeps it together. It's like a binder, but it also is like a a lightener. Yeah. You know it totally. almost gets a souffle-y texture because of the eggs, which I enjoy, but I've never done that. When you started putting egg into yours when we were filming our video, I was like, what the hell? We've never done that. And I I like the kind of scoopable quality that it that it gives it. Yes. You know? I love that. I mean, yeah. I think probably spongy, like pudding is one of my favorite textures, mm-hmm. along with moussey. Lucy goosey crunchy chewy I mean I love it all so yours was like you did first of all you used Pepperidge Farm you're damn right which I kind of feel like that's always the go-to classic you know those tiny cubes of bread who knows how how long ago they were actually baked it's no one no one will ever know but they, they're <laughs> like a fine line the older they get the better your stuffing is. It's true. It's an amazing thing about bread because no one likes stale bread unless you're making stuffing or dressing. Do you know what I mean? Or, or French toast. Or, yes. Ooh, or French toast. But French toast, like how stale? You don't want Pepperidge Farm level stale, do you? Well, I mean, the Pepperidge Farm level is almost like astronaut food. It's like these, you know, it's like a piece of bread that used to be one inch by one inch that suddenly is like, a millimeter by a millimeter. I'm like, yeah, they must be freeze dried or something crazy must happen to them in the process. I do think that for French toast, actually, it can be very useful to super, super, super dry your bread because then it soaks up your mixture, your eggy mixture even better. I don't know where I'm going with that, but I just want to, I'm just putting that in. Come on back to stuffing town. Yes. Sorry. I lead you back. Yeah, truly. I'm in another country. French toast country. Reminds me of Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Okay, we're back in stuffing territory. So I hosted it. We cooked what on a Tuesday and you had toasted your brioche on a Saturday and let it sit. Yes. So that bread was dry AF, as people like to say. I usually have been like a pe- <laughs> classic phrase, dry AF. I usually <laughs> am like a Pepperidge Farm person, but we had all this brioche. We had a full loaf of brioche that had been toasted and dried and was just sitting there. My dad was going to throw it out. And I was like, oh my God, you can't throw that out. That out. That's so wasteful. I'll use it for my stuffing. Since it was for a video, I was like, oh, who even cares if it's good? But then I cut it up into these cubes. It was so dry and desiccated. And it, mm. and it made excellent, excellent stuffing. Maybe because it's already an eggy bread and right. it has those like big holes so it can soak up a lot. I mean, it was just right. really good. I think I may be a convert. Can we talk a little bit about broth? Because I do think that broth makes the stuffing, makes kind of the Thanksgiving meal in general. Yes. I think a few years ago, I never really thought too hard about broth, but I was cooking with my dad and he was like, you know, broth is the key to Thanksgiving. He like exclaimed it in an exuberant moment, like stirring this huge stock pot on the stove. And I was like, what are you talking about? But it's true. It's, it is the backbone of so many of these dishes. And like you said, it is the, um, it incorporates all of these flavors, the kind of mirepoix. It it can enhance everything. It can keep things moist because drying things out is like a a huge risk with all of these dishes. And the thing that no, I mean, that's the number one fear of Thanksgiving is like the turkey will be dry. The stuffing will be dry. The mashed potatoes will be dry, you know? 
Yes. If you have that stock pot just simmering, if you've got extra room on your stove, you can add it to everything whenever you want. And it it just, it's, it can be a lifesaver. Yeah. You can also kind of, if you make a really exciting stock, like I was actually just thinking about like, imagine using a pho broth. Cause if oh you made, God. if you made a stock that has like actually different flavors, you could really impart so many other flavors to your meal through that stock. So like a right. beef broth that actually had like some star anise in it and like I other flavors. Of course you can do a turkey broth. I am very partial to dashi because it imparts this really smoky flavor. Is that, and that comes from the Bonito flakes? Yes, exactly. Which, oh that. God, I love dashi so much. I'm sure could I've spoken about it some, before. Could you add some um, Bonito flakes or kombu to just a chicken stock to kind of fortify it? I think so. I mean, because like the the kombu and the Bonito flakes are cooked, like it would have to be cooked very differently than the chicken broth. So mm-hmm. I think you would maybe like make a separate dashi and then pour it in with the chicken broth. Maybe you could do something with the kombu, but the Bonito flakes, you wouldn't want to like boil with your chicken. Yeah. Okay. I do want to talk about this chicken broth that I made the other day, which is what we used for our stuffing. Mm-hmm. It's the clearest, most golden broth I've ever made in my life. Talk to me. I'm going to make it this afternoon. So it's How my dad's it? recipe. So chicken wings only because Got they it. have a lot of gelatin in them because they have so many joints. So mm-hmm. you're going to like use a cleaver or a knife kind of really try to chop them up, not like huge chunks, you know, but like definitely separate them. You're not just throwing them in there because the more you do that, the more gelatin will be seeped out of them and into the broth. So first you're going to put them in, you know, a stock pot of cold water, turn it up, cook it until it comes to a boil. As soon as it comes to a boil, you pour the whole thing out and you're going to strain the chicken and rinse the chicken. So like everything that you just boiled, it's gone. You're just rinsing the chicken. You're going to put that chicken into an instant pot or a pressure cooker with, you can do like a whole onion, a rib of celery, some peppercorns, a bay leaf, whatever you usually do for your stock. I would kind of not do uh, a carrot because it gets too sweet. Mm. Then you're going to pressure cook it for an hour and a half. Leave it. Let, it, let the pressure come down naturally. That is actually the key. So you're not going to put it under cold water. You're not going to like depressurize it by pushing that little knob. You're just going to let it come down naturally, which mm-hmm. takes a while. And that's it. And then you are left with the clearest, most golden broth and the flavor. It's like the most chickeny thing ever. So highly recommend. How many pounds of chicken wings are we talking? I'm going to do it. Oh my God. Wait, I forgot. The other thing is you use also like probably a half a pound of ground oh. chicken meat, <laughs> which is so weird. I, when I saw it, I was like, are you fucking sure this seems insane? I don't know what it does. At what point does that go in? That goes in when you, when you put it into the pressure cooker. So like it's raw until you put it into the pressure cooker. And how long are you pressurizing it for? An hour and a half. Oh, 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 oh. So you cook it for an hour and and a half and then you strain it. Yep. It's so good. I'm so excited for you to try it. I thought it was going to be a disaster. It was, I'm, I've never been happier. What else do we want to talk about? I kind of feel like we've nailed a lot of, we just nailed a lot of the stuffing stuff. Well, I just think we should shout out uh, maybe some fantasy stuffing recipes because we've been talking about the traditional Mm -hmm. stuffing, but we know that there's all these different kind of regional varieties. A lot of people do cornbread. 
um, oyster stuffing is something that you and I have discussed in the past, which sounds yes. so good and yep. cool. And I did do some research and I think it's um, like a Boston thing, which makes sense. Yes. Get those perfect Massachusetts oysters right in that stuffing. Yeah. That also keep it lends... moist and salty. And, yes. Yeah. And also people forget like oysters are really creamy. So especially if they're cooked, it'll add that really nice creaminess. I think that's so cool. Different types of breads, of course, rice. One of our lovely, lovely fans and friends, Melissa Chingoya, made uh, mochi sticky rice stuffing and she sent us a picture in the recipe and that looked incredible. I think I had yes. a variety of it at the Thanksgiving potluck last year and it was, I mean, it was the winner of the entire night. Oh, it Something sounds about, so good. Like, the crook, because with mochi rice or sticky rice, you have the the stickiness of it, but also the crispy crustiness of it. Mm -hmm. And that with like some Chinese sausage oh, and some oh, mushrooms. Yeah. I mean that you're speaking my language. Oh God, with some shiitake is perfect. We also have to give a shout out to Melissa because she sent us the sweetest package of all these Hawaiian goodies, which A, made me miss Hawaii so much, but it was so sweet to get all these like perfect little cookies, which Harry has already started in on. Thank you, Melissa. We have this group on Instagram called uh, the Chip Hour Support Group because we do our chip hours every Wednesday. If you guys want to be in it, you can DM us and we'll add you to the list. And it's like just a lot of recipe sharing, you know, yelling about things, whatever. It's really fun. So we got a couple <laughs> more. So Diana, Diana Ruiz, who we love, uses her grandma Lucy's recipe, which has evaporated milk and olives, which I had never heard. I love that. I love all of the Thanksgiving sides that incorporate, they feel like very old school kind of Americana yeah. and they incorporate like, you know, um, different creamed mushrooms or corn or, you know, olives, evaporated milk. Just you kind of go through the grocery store and you look at all that stuff and, you know, the kind of modern farm to table, annoying foodie person like myself just ignores it. But when it's used in something like that stuffing and incorporated with other fresh ingredients, you're like, that shit is so good. Yeah. Like there are true secret ingredients that have nothing to do with being farm to table. <laughs> and like, you're not eating it with a spoon straight out of the can, but when you mix, when you mix it and just use it as like a pre-prepared thing, like yeah. a single ingredient to, to go in with the rest of your recipe. That's very smart. I think she said um, it's from like a 1980s, like classic recipe from food and wine or gourmet or like, or something yeah. like a classic food publication. Yeah. Um, and then our beloved Otis Morgan's mom who has, did you see her handwriting? It's like the yeah, most insane. beautiful handwriting I've ever seen. Wrote out a cornbread and white bread recipe, which I thought was interesting because the other ones that I've read that are cornbread are just cornbread. Yeah. But this one is cornbread white toast, which you should toast until it's the texture of a Melba cracker, which I was like, oh my God, I love a Melba cracker so much. <laughs> Brings me to tears. Celery, onion, egg, sage, chicken broth. It sounds very simple, but like a very cool way of incorporating cornbread, which I've never done before. It's like a starter cornbread stuffing. Yes, exactly. not ready to make the transition. Yeah. Totally, totally. Where do you stand on adding cheese to your stuffing? I mean, I've never had it, but of course I'd be down to try it. Same. I've never been a big mac and cheese as a Thanksgiving side person. Yeah. I don't know if that's, I don't, maybe, uh, I, I don't know where that comes from. Maybe it's a Southern tradition. I, I don't know, but 
So this would be an interesting way to kind of bridge that gap. Or, or if you have guests over who really are expecting mac and cheese to be on the table and you refuse to make it, you could right. incorporate some cheese. You made a note about um, how it could be like an, a French onion soup stuffing yeah. mix. That sounds incredible. Like I was picturing, okay, so run with me here. Okay. Sauteing your onions, but definitely not until they're caramelized, just until they're sort of like very buttery, translucent. Then you're doing your, maybe you'll do celery, but you're not doing any other crazy ingredients. A lot of broth, um, a lot of egg, and then like gruyere on top so mm-hmm. that it gets really not soupy, but like gets really like a pudding. So it's almost like you can't really distinguish. Maybe you could even know. cut your onions <laughs> actually into rounds instead of like thin slices instead of chopped. Yeah. I think you could just do a, a lot, a lot of onions and do some caramelized and maybe even use like a French onions, more style broth, like a, right. like really infuse your chicken stock or turkey stock with way more onions than usual. So you get yeah. that kind of dark brown, delicious broth. I mean, it oh. would be like just the first couple layers of a French onion soup, which I is mean, what everyone loves anyway. Exactly. I'm like, I would almost even use a beef broth to Ooh, keep yeah, it yeah, like yeah, yeah, really yeah. moist and amazing and Sophie, go think, heavy on the broth. Oh my God. This is Maybe genius. I'll try that. I think we should, you should definitely try. If you, if you make it, please um, keep us all posted. I oh my love, God, I will. Maybe we can make it together someday. That sounds like a, this could be our moneymaker. <laughs> Wait a minute. My fucking genius. Hold on. Wait, <laughs> just speaking of off-piste stuffings, can we just do a quick dive into what a Guy Fieri puts into his stuffing? Because we were talking oh about God. it yesterday and I died laughing. I know, but upon <laughs> reflection, like it makes sense. You know what? What did you think he wasn't going to put pepperoni in his stuffing? How yeah. dare you? Of course. Did you he think is. he wasn't going to use focaccia as the base of his stuffing? But part of what makes me laugh so much about that is like focaccia is the least dry bread in the world. It's covered true. in olive oils. So it's, it's like so true. <laughs> like how do you dry it out enough that it can like soak up anything else? Oh God, it's probably so mushy. <laughs> He's making like an Italian meat combo as a stuffing, which I mean, fuck it. I'm sure I would love it. Yeah. He's truly just like chopping up a deli sub and then putting it in a, in a casserole dish in, in the broiler. So good. It does sound good, but not like it's, how is that no. going to taste with some cranberry sauce? Oh God. Oh, keep it away. It's disgusting. Yeah. No, no. I have well, a good way out of, the, of this stuffing hole. Great. Take me out. I'm ready. <laughs> what kind of cranberry sauce are you? Are you canned or are you no, homemade? We're a homemade. I have a feeling you're going to be like, canned is the only way to go, but we're a homemade. And the thing is we just have cranberry sauce sitting around in our freezer for years and years. So usually there's one defrosted and one fresh. Jesus. But the one thing that I have to say about that is that I also think it makes an incredible base for a cocktail. If you puree some of like a homemade cranberry sauce, so it's just cranberry sugar and orange peel and some orange juice. If you puree that and pour that into like a glass of Prosecco or mix it with vodka and some sparkling water, hey, I mean, no flies on me, if you know what I mean. Wow. You are (laughs) fly free, madam. (laughs) That sounds delicious. You win. That and your French onion soup stuffing, you are the hostess with the mostest. Stop. It's not It's not up to you to bestow that title upon me. You're the hostess with the mostest. What's your cranberry sausage? 
I like canned. You got me. You know me. I do. You know I me know. and you love me. But I must say, I'm very like canned all the way. That is my my stance, my argument. But last year during Thanksgiving, I made sure we had some cans out and then we had some um, fresh, a couple different kinds. And the canned, I, I can, you can only have so much of it. It's like I dip my fork in it. Right. You know? Yeah. It's too sweet. And I think you can you can get that. I love the gelatinous texture, but you can use gelatin and, and make your own. I just don't want like that soupy cranberry sauce. I, I oh. yeah, I, there's something about the cold gelatin, which I think is actually a nice contrast to everything else being um hot. Well, I think the thing is like cranberries have a lot of pectin in them. So actually, like you're Cranberry sauce, even if it's homemade, should be pretty gelatinous. Like you shouldn't even Whoa. need to add gelatin. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. You're just dropping bombs on me. Thanksgiving <laughs> oh my God. bombs. <laughs> Woohoo. Thank God, because my brain was on holiday yesterday. So I feel like I'm back, baby. It should, it should have like a nice gelatinous texture, even if you're not getting it from a can. But I agree. Like if I don't want something soupy. It's disgusting. Yeah. Well. On that well, note, we hope you guys are all enjoying an amazing meal today, whether you're just by yourself and cheersing with some friends or family over Zoom or whether you traveled and safely, I hope, to see people. We're so thankful for all of you and for each other, and for our mm-hmm. for our little team, which mostly consists of Colin. <laughs> we love you so much, Colin. We don't yep. know what we would do without you. On this day of Thanksgiving, we are thankful for you. Watch our video and what else? We'll see you next week at Chip Hour and, and another exciting episode next Thursday of this oh, yeah. podcast. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. You know, enjoy this weekend. We hope it's relaxing and fun and semi worry free as most of 2020 has not been. Yes. Love you. Yeah. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for season three of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.